Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. I hope you had an awesome Christmas holiday and a happy new year. Now, we all know many Canadian politicians enjoyed a nice Christmas vacay this year. Many in sunny, tropical paradise locations. And nothing drives people crazier than the old do as I say, not as I do. And we sure have seen many examples across Canada, federal and provincial politicians at the same time. They're telling people to stay home, stay safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. Do not travel. They do not apply the same rules to themselves. Jetting off to tropical holidays and personal trips. Now, ground zero for this behavior is definitely Alberta. Multiple members of Premier Jason Kenney's Alberta government jetting off to exotic locales, heading off to Hawaii, Mexico, Vegas, the United Kingdom, the list just goes on. Now have a listen to this. Here is Alberta Premier Jason Kenney trying to explain this. Those of us in positions of public trust must maintain a higher standard in our uh, personal conduct than is expected of the folks in the, in the general population, in the general community. And here I take responsibility for not having clearly set out or, or communicated a policy against international travel for senior decision makers in government. I should have done so. To be blunt, I'm not in the habit of tracking or regulating what the people who work for me do uh, on their personal time. Okay, it might make sense if it was just one or two isolated cases, but when you have so many MLAs and senior staff in that government jetting off out of the country, wow, it just really makes you wonder what's going on there. Now, here's Chase and Kenny here. He's asked, of course, will they be punished? Will they be required to resign from cabinet? Here's what he said. I take responsibility for not having been absolutely clear about this expectation. And I do not believe that I can sanction people who complied with the law, with the public health orders, uh, and who in fact participated in the kind of safe travel that our government has facilitated. Okay, sounds like no one is going to be punished. Let's talk about this one now with my guest, Sarah Hoffman. She is the deputy leader of the Alberta NDP, deputy leader of the official opposition in the Alberta legislature. And I'm very pleased to welcome her from Edmonton this morning. Hello. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Th- thanks a lot for coming on. What has been the reaction in Alberta to this story? This is just the height of hypocrisy and entitlement. I was at the dog park yesterday in, in Edmonton, and somebody came up to me and said, thanks for staying in the province. Like People shouldn't have to um, thank their politicians for doing the right thing, for following uh, public health uh, orders and, and uh, directives. Uh, the U.S.-Canada border is still closed to non-essential travel. And I'm sorry, going to Hawaii for your 18th year in a row over the Christmas break isn't no. essential this year. Right, you're referring to the one of the Alberta cabinet ministers there who said that they, she went to Hawaii every Christmas and she wasn't going to stop going this year. What, is the, what are the latest numbers here? I mean, is it, is it nine 
uh, politicians and senior government officials that have been caught traveling here? Is there, is there any new any new names added to the list overnight? So there was one added yesterday, but I think it's included in your count of nine. And this yeah. one, they don't even they they believe he's in Mexico, but they don't even know where, and they haven't had a response. Right. Like this is just like. I, I was in government. I was the deputy premier, and we had forms that we had to fill out. And previous governments had the same forms. And it sounds from what uh, the minister who was in Hawaii said that she also filled out the same form that says when you're going to be gone uh, and who's covering for you. And we used to put on it where you're going to be and how you can be reached. Because there are times where the person who's covering for you isn't in the best position. And the minister who was in Hawaii is the minister responsible for Alberta's emergency management. And we're in a state of public health emergency. The rollout of the vaccine has been um, terrible to date. And she felt it was more important to uh, keep her family tradition of going to Hawaii and spend time in the sun uh, than on responding to the uh, most pressing public health crisis we've faced in a very, very long time. Right. Speaking to Sarah Hoffman, she is the deputy leader of the NDP in Alberta. And we're talking about the Alberta politicians and senior government staffers who have been caught traveling here. Um all of the MLAs who've been caught out of the out of the province here, they're all from the United Conservative Party and they're officials with the United Conservative government in Alberta, right? Yeah. There, there, any any NDP MLAs travel? Uh, everyone has stayed within Alberta for the yeah. duration of the of the break and and that's what we told other Albertans to do. Right. A lot of these conservatives had banners on their Facebook saying, Stay home, stay safe, like stay home, save lives and they won't do the same. Right. Now, why is that? Why Why is it seem particular to the Conservative Party here and not other parties in Alberta? What, like, was there a different set of rules there? What happened? Of course not. And, and there isn't a different set of rules for Albertans in general. The rules yeah. still are avoid non-essential travel and that the U.S.-Canada border is closed for everything that isn't essential. So, um, no, there, there absolutely isn't a, another set of rules. I think there is yeah. a clear demonstration that some people believe the rules don't apply to them. Some yeah. people believe that they're above the law, the laws that they help make, um, and uh, and want one set of rules for themselves and another set of rules for ordinary Albertans, and that is um, that is so disrespectful. And and to the families who are grieving, who haven't been able to hold funerals for their loved ones, to be told you can't gather and support, you know, your mom who's dealing with the death of your dad, but it's okay for um, me as a mom to keep up my family tradition and take my family to Hawaii over Christmas, like. That is just so completely out of touch. Okay, we have not had a similar scandal here in British Columbia so far. All three major parties represented in the B.C. legislature have released statements in the last 48 hours saying none of their people have traveled. So no one from the NDP government here, no one from the Liberal opposition, and no one from the third, par- third party Green Party here say that any of their people have traveled outside of the, out of the province over Christmas. So I-, I guess that's a good thing. But man, oh man, we take a look at what's going on in Alberta. With nine people, I mean, this is extraordinary, the, the scale of this thing. What should be done? Do you, do you think that these politicians and staffers who did travel, should they be sanctioned? Should they be removed from cabinet? Should they be suspended? Like, should there be consequences here? So for sure, we've already called on the resignation of the minister responsible for emergency management, the, the minister who is in Hawaii. That is, um, this is an emergency and these are her responsibilities. And to leave in the middle of the time when the province needs you and to be so out of touch uh, is unexcusable. So we believe that Minister Allard needs to um, resign or that Jason Kenney needs to show some leadership and remove her from cabinet. 
Um, and then uh, we think that it's important for there to be a full accounting. The premier's office still says they don't know where everyone is. Like right. that is absolutely ridiculous. Like this is um, uh, an important time in the province uh, and demonstrating leadership and basic leadership is everywhere where I've ever worked. I had to ask permission to go on vacation. And, um, and the same is the expectation uh, within political parties and they should know where all their folks are and they should tell the public because uh, people have a right to know and they're incredibly frustrated right now um, that in a time where they're all being told to stay home to make sacrifices right. that we're all in this together clearly their government uh, doesn't agree with that and, and has refused to uh, make any sacrifices. The pandemic has been so difficult on everyone particularly in Alberta right could you comment a little bit on the situation with COVID in, in the province of Alberta and why it's why it's so important for politicians to lead by example here? We were the last province in the country to bring in a mandatory mask mandate uh, province-wide. Uh, that, uh, they kept dumping that responsibility onto local municipalities, and um, it, was, uh, it was really dangerous, and it led to uh, increased case counts in many places throughout uh, the province. We've had the highest per capita case count uh, in Canada for a very long time, for many, many months. Uh, things got so bad uh, in November, just 12 weeks after kids went back to school, that all junior and senior high students, grades 7 through 12, were sent home to learn online um, because our, our numbers were so high and the number of outbreaks uh, in schools was increasing so significantly. Um, that has shown a terrible lack of courage and leadership and, and response. And, oh, yeah, and the Red Cross is coming into open field hospitals because our hospitals and, and specifically our ICUs are, are so full that we need to uh, send patients out into other types of uh, field hospital situations. So there's been a terrible management and, and a terrible uh, uh, reluctance to act to keep people safe in this province. And, and over a thousand Albertans have died as a result. Um, and now here we have a government that uh, is telling everyone, sorry, we need to, to take more measures. You can't spend Christmas with your loved ones. You need right. to make sure that you're making sacrifices and they appear to be making none. We continue to follow it very closely in Alberta and across the country as well and here in British Columbia too. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate having a chance to chat with you, Mike. Take good care. All right. Welcome back. Go back. Uh, time to go back to school today in British Columbia after the two-week Christmas break. More than half a million kids heading back to public school classes today, including my own son. He's in grade 10. He's in back in class today. But concerns over COVID in schools continuing to worry teachers, parents, and school support workers at Earl Marriott Secondary School in Surrey. They're dealing with close to 50 cases of COVID-19 across five different classes in the school. Some parents have been advocating for an extension of the Christmas break. Let's talk about this now with my guest, Patty Backus, the education columnist at the Georgia Strait, former chair of the Vancouver School Board. I'm very pleased to welcome her back. Hi, Patty. Hi, Mike. Happy New Year. Thanks a lot. Same to you. Would you feel safe as a parent or a kid heading back to that high school in Surrey? I mean, you got 50 cases there. They're not calling it an outbreak, right? Because they're saying, what, there's been no transmission in the in the school itself? Is that why it's not an outbreak? Listen, I, you know, I didn't, I haven't even been in a room with my own kids for months. I spent Christmas with them on FaceTime. You couldn't pay me enough to go into a building where there had been 50 cases associated, cluster, not, I don't know. 
uh, and spend a whole day there where masks aren't even mandatory all the time in classrooms. It's it's a very concerning situation. So I have a lot of empathy for uh, parents, students, and people who work in schools trying to figure out whether it's safe to go or even if they even have a choice. Um, you know, I take this virus very seriously, and um, I think it's 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 very worrisome. It's a difficult spot for for school boards to be into. I think. Um, you quoted the superintendent, uh, Jordan Tinney. I think he's dealing with a really challenging situation. Um, and, you know, one of my questions is, where's the education minister? Um, we have a new minister uh, who was sworn in, I believe, back in November. We've heard really nothing for weeks and weeks. And I think people are worried. And we're, we're waiting to hear today's numbers. So people don't even have a lot of current information to make their decisions today whether to send their kids. So Okay, we saw we I, saw yeah. this uh we saw that online petition kind of take off from from parents who were saying like look, let's extend the Christmas break by another couple of weeks and keep the schools shut down and we've seen that done in other jurisdictions uh notably in Ontario, uh the United Kingdom. What do you think about that? I mean, I got I got kids in the school system. I, I I think they're better better off in schools. I am worried as a parent. Of course, everyone is. But I mean, shutting down schools or extending the Christmas break. Do you think that would have been a smart move? You know, it's a really tough one. I know a lot of parents wanted schools to be open today. A lot of students did, and even a lot of teachers I've heard from say, "Look, I really love teaching. I want to see my kids. I think the best place for them to be is at school." My position all along is schools should be open. But I believe there should be doing much more to ensure that they're safe, particularly in areas like Surrey, where we have such high rates of infection right through the community. Um, you know, we still are packing sometimes up to 30 kids into a classroom. They're not required to have masks on. And listen, kids are now used. We're all used to wearing masks. You know, at the beginning, it seemed like kind of an odd thing to do. But now we if we go on a ferry or on a bus or in a mall, we all wear masks. And I think to suggest that for some reason you can be in a room for hours a day with unmasked teenagers is safe. But having Christmas dinner with your own family is forbidden. You know, it just doesn't add up for people. So I think, you know, I do believe they should be open, um, but I do believe there should be more options for those who choose not to go. And I'm including staff should be able to teach remotely if they have some health concerns. And for certainly there needs to be, you know, we've been at this almost a year now that I can't believe it. It's, you know, coming up. It'll be a year since we knew this was a problem. Um, you know, we need, there are lots of people who would, do the online option if it was better supported. It's still really reliant on parents to pretty well support their kids with very minimal support from schools. We need options. We need lower density in classrooms in, in high infection areas. We need a mask mandate. I mean, the things of BCTF, I think they're asking very reasonable things. I've heard Terry Mooring on CKNW laying out some very reasonable steps to ensure yeah. safety of her members and students. I don't know why government you know, won't move on that. Well, really I sometimes, you sometimes hear pushback against the teachers union saying like, oh, they're just trying to get the government to hire more teachers or to increase the union ranks or they they just want to stay home. They don't want to work. That's not what they've been asking for. They've actually been asking for smaller classes, but they're, they're saying you don't have to hire more teachers to accomplish that. What you could potentially do is have kids come in in staggered days, right? Like yeah, maybe every... Vancouver school districts doing that. They're, they yeah. have the kids come in in the morning for a class and they have sort of a flex thing and they do an online thing in the afternoon. So they're getting that social connection. I mean, this is for secondary, not for, for primary or elementary, but they're getting that face-to-face. -face. They're getting that social contact. They're getting that connection with caring adults. Uh, 
Um, not all parents are happy with it, for sure. There's lots oh, yeah. that say, no, they should be full-time. You're never going to please everybody. But, you know, I think those are reasonable asks in a time when this, you know, we don't know much about this new variant. That's a real concern. It's still kind of unfolding. How widespread is it? We don't know. Um, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm thanking my stars. I don't have to make a decision. My kids are now in their 20s, thank goodness. And, uh, and I'm really feeling for parents and for, for employees of schools. And I'm even we- hearing from school administrators now. And that's, that's new. I had some over the weekend contact me saying, they were feeling really frustrated and unable to support their own staff and worried about being going back to school. We have a new education minister in the province. It was a bit of a surprise in, in the last cabinet lineup from the government. Uh, Jennifer Whiteside is the new education minister. Kind of surprising to see a, a rookie kind of put into this very demanding portfolio here, especially at this time. We're hoping to have her on the show tomorrow. Haven't heard a lot from her. What, what would you like to hear from her, the new education minister? <laughs> Well, I've been asking for an interview since late November, and she hasn't been available, according to ministry staff, and I would very much, I don't don't know, I've never had a chance to talk to her, I don't know a whole lot about her other than her official bio. It is a really tough uh, role to be put in as a brand new, uh, you know, someone who's never been in elected politics before. Um, She's got a strong background in in the union movement, but not necessarily in, in politics, so I, you know, I, you know, it's fair enough. She needs some time to be briefed and get up to speed. Everybody would need to do that. But she, you know, I think people should have been hearing from her over the holidays before going back to school. Um, I would like, you know, p- people are looking for leadership. They're looking for reassurance. They're looking yeah. for certainty, and they're they're not getting it. Um, I would have a lot of questions for her about whether she thinks the measures in place are adequate, um, whether she feels, uh, you know, would she be comfortable spending a day in that Surrey High School? Would you go yeah. in there all day and spend five or six hours in that school? Um, I sure wouldn't. <laughs> I'll be honest. I sure wouldn't. Yeah. So well, 50 yeah, cases. A lot, I have a lot. Yeah. 50 cases of COVID is a lot of, is a lot of cases of COVID in one school. Speaking to Patty Backus, she's the education columnist at Georgia Strait. Patty, let me play this for you. This is Dr. Bonnie Henry here talking about back to school. Let's have a listen. We pulled together a school task force to learn from what we have been through in the last few weeks and to pull things together and to reestablish that relationship and the communications and the tools that we need to restart safely in the new year. And there are uh, a number that was led by uh, the Deputy Minister of uh, Education, Scott MacDonald, and uh, Dr. Rake Augustuson. And so we have uh, engaged in that process and people are preparing to make sure that we can go back to school safely. next week and that is uh, kind of exciting for lots of children i know your thoughts i mean do you think that the changes that have been put into place are 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 adequate or what more needs to be done well i don't not aware of anything that's changed uh really since the fall um and you know i think one of the biggest concerns is transparency Uh, who's on this task force what are they doing uh as far as i know the teachers weren't involved people working on the front lines i'm not aware of them being involved we need, you know, a much more transparency. I think even the confusion about this case in Surrey, where there are 50 actual cases in the school or were they associated with the school or family members, it's all so muddy and confusing. Is something a cluster? Is it an outbreak? Is it an exposure? And I think that that lack of clarity, lack of transparency, the fact that we've had no reporting since Thursday, but people had to make their decisions about whether to go to school today, you know, I don't think that's enough information. Other provinces, I think, are doing a better job. I don't not aware of any other province, I think, that's going back to school full-time today. Um, why is wow. BC different? You know? 
It, it's a lot of, I, I get the frustration. I, my inboxes are full of it, and I'm very sympathetic to it. I'm not always sympathetic to some of the things that land in my inbox, but this one I really am. I think, yeah, I get it. I'd be well, frustrated too. What is happening in other provinces? Like, are other provinces largely schools are shut down, or what's happening? Yeah, I haven't gone through provinces. Some of them have delayed. Some are going back partially. I think some are doing a remote option for a while. Um, I think, you know, overall, the information and the stats are more available, um, being updated and reported out daily. The case numbers, we don't have this, you know, what is it now, four or five days we're going to be looking at. Um, you know, so I think, and, and even more local data. Like, I, there's probably parts of BC where it might be quite safe to send your kids back to school. Sure. and the, the, But we don't know, really, where, where these cases are in, in, a, in a detailed way. Um, and I think that leads to frustration and distrust as well. If you want to get people on side, we know this. It's basic crisis comms. You, you know, you give people clear information. You're fully transparent, timely information. And those things, things are really lacking, I believe, in BC when it comes to what's happening in our schools. All right, welcome back to the show as we continue talking about back to school today. More than half a million kids heading back to class in British Columbia today. Still lots of COVID out there, including that high school in Surrey with more than 50 cases, we're told, at uh, at that school. 604-280-9898 is the number. My guest is Patty Backus from the Georgia Strait. Star 9898, toll free on your cell. Let's go to your phone call. Steve in Surrey. Hey, Steve. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I understand you've got a kid in in that high school in Surrey. Is that right? I, I do, yeah. yeah. Wow. I've got a kid in, uh, in EMS, and uh, he's at home today just because, wow. uh, you know, I personally just think that the clarity is not there. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't feel that they're feeding us enough information, and the whole idea of you know, oh, we've got protocols in place. It's it's basically them just saying, you know, trust us, just trust us. You know, it's all good, just trust us. And I don't feel good about that. It's you know, what are some of the qu- able to trust government? <laughs> what are the some of the questions that you have as a parent when you receive a letter? from the government saying, or the, or the school district saying that we've had close to 50 cases of COVID at your child's school. Like, what are the, what are the questions that are going through your mind right now? Well, I'd like to know, you know, so, well, I don't really have any questions. My, I just, I, I know the answers. Like, I know the kids in between classes, there's no cohort. They all associate with each other. There's wow. not, like, this whole cohort thing is a joke. I, I hate to say that, you know, because I know that they're desperately trying to make this all okay and for it all to work. But unless they truly enforce it, and they can't, um, there's no cohorts. Kids, as they're going through school, at, at lunchtime, after school, they all hang out, you know, yeah. so there is no cohort. So, so for them to say, oh, yeah, well, you know what, somebody in another class, was exposed but your son should be fine that doesn't mean anything to me because my son has even told me like guys who have uh have have who have been worried that they were positive and then went and got tested they did come up negative but nonetheless my son was like well yeah i was with that guy's brother just yesterday or two days ago and it's like are you serious and he's like yeah because you know, they all just hang out. It's, it's, I, I'm sorry, and I, I, I know they're really trying to make this work. It's just not working. Like they've, 
something some and i don't know what else i don't know what the answer is but they yeah. got to do something else i'm speaking to steve on the open phone line his son goes to earl marriott secondary school in surrey where there's been close to 50 cases of covid steve when you talk to other parents of, of kids in the school do they feel the same way as you i mean are other parents keeping their kids home uh you know what i don't really know if other kids or parents are keeping their kids home um i know that there's other kids that live in you know where we do and i see them going off to school However, I did see some of them coming back this morning. So maybe oh. maybe they got, you know, halfway and then their parents heard about the 50 cases and called them and said, hey, you know what? Uh, no, you're not going today. I, I really don't know. How long are you, you going to keep I, him? I don't know. How long are you going to keep your son home, do you think? You know what? I, I really don't know. I had to yeah. talk to my wife about that. Steve, thanks for calling in. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. I appreciate it. I hope you and your family stay healthy here. Uh, Patty, what do you think of that? There's a, there's a dad there worried dad keeping his son home uh, from that, yeah, that high I, school in Surrey. I, I, I would not want to be in his situation. I would probably be doing exactly what he's doing. I would not. Yeah. You know, this is a life and death thing. Like, this is, this is serious. I would not want to take that gamble. But, you know, it's also hard. We know it's not great for kids to be sitting home and missing school and, and things like that. So it's a tough one. I think parents have been put in an incredibly difficult situation um, without enough information to make decisions. They, you know, clearly they want information. People want to, uh, people want their kids to be safe, their families to be safe. If you have a vulnerable family member, it's extra right. worrisome, and many do. So, yeah, I, 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 the cohort model for high schools, I just don't see from the very start. It made no sense to me. Anyone who's raised teenagers, I think, would say, how on earth are they going to enforce that, particularly in a large high school? Let's squeeze in one more call here. Michael and White Rock. Michael, you got to go quick. You just got a minute here. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah. Fraser Health is muzzling the teachers and the school board. I feel bad for those teachers. They knew what was happening. That um, This outbreak, or whatever they're calling it now, um, yeah. started before the 18th and the Fraser house just wouldn't let the students and teachers know. So basically we're not being armed with the information we need to keep our kids safe. Okay. Thanks for the call. Patty, we just got 30 seconds. If you want to comment. Yeah. I, I hear that from teachers all the time. I always guarantee them confidentiality when they contact me through Twitter DMs or email and they're, they're afraid to speak out. Uh, they're not also not given a lot of information. Sometimes they're the last to know when there's been an exposure. The parents get the notice before the teachers do. So, yeah, I, I uh, think it's, uh, a, it's a really difficult situation. We need greater transparency and greater safety measures. Thanks for coming on. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the campaign to reduce smoking now. Still a major cause of premature death in Canada. Smoking kills 45,000 Canadians a year. This one hits close to home for me. Both my parents were smokers. They both died from smoking-related illness. Now, smoking rates have gone down over time. A lot of restrictions on smoking have been brought into effect over the years, including in the city of Beverly Hills. Yes, famous Beverly Hills in California. You know, it was 30 years ago, it was the first city in California to ban smoking in restaurants, and it remains one of the most progressive cities uh, in the United States on smoking policies. Check this out. Beverly Hills, now the first city in America to ban the sale of most tobacco products within the city limits. Let's talk about that now with my guest, Lester Friedman. He is the mayor of Beverly Hills, California, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Mayor Friedman, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you. My pleasure. It's awesome to have the mayor of Beverly Hills on the show. I think that's fantastic. Let me ask you about the uh, the ban on, on tobacco sales. When did this come into effect? So um, about 18 months ago, the city council passed a uh, ordinance and that made it effective on January 1st of 2021, right. where only sales to guests of hotels, that is by room service, could be still could still receive cigarettes. Uh, all other businesses shall stop selling tobacco products, and there were a couple limited exemptions. Uh, one was for existing cigar lounges. Uh, and there was also a temporary hardship exemption for retailers that could demonstrate the ban would cause undue hardship. Okay, so if I was in Beverly Hills today and I stopped at a convenience store or a gas station or something, I would, I would see no cigarettes for sale, correct? That is correct. There, are, yeah. there were two uh, retailers who did apply for a hardship exemption. Uh, one is still in uh, the um, process of seeing whether or not they qualify. One other one whose sales were exclusively, almost exclusively, uh, cigarettes was able to get a one-year um, exemption so that they could get rid of their inventory and transition to another line of work. Okay, why is the city of Beverly Hills taking this step? Well, look, the, the, the primary purpose of government is to ensure the health and safety uh, of its residents and its visitors. And it is a known fact that cigarette smoking causes cancer. Uh, there really is nothing that anybody can show that, sm that is positive about a person who smokes. It is just not healthy. Okay, speaking to Lester Friedman, he is the mayor of Beverly Hills, California. What's been the reaction to the ban on, on tobacco sales in your city? Are you receiving any complaints about it, or is it mostly supportive? Well, it's mostly supportive, and in fact, it was a public process that we went through uh, that culminated 18 months ago with our Health and Safety Commission, where we uh, took input from our residences and visitors and that is the recommendation that the Health and Safety Commission made to the City Council. And unanimously, the City Council did pass the ordinance, and we delayed implementation so that retailers could get rid of their stock and not be stuck with that inventory. So this is something that was coming, that people knew was coming for about 18 months. Yeah. Okay, so if you're a smoker in, in Beverly Hills and you needed to buy a a deck of smokes, how far would you have to, to drive now 
in order to buy cigarettes? Well, uh, you know, Beverly Hills is is about a 5.3 square mile area surrounded by the city of Los Angeles, the city of, uh, and the city of West Hollywood. So right. it wouldn't be that far a drive for a person to do so. But, you know, going back to the 30 years ago when we stopped um, cigarette smoking in restaurants, yes. uh, everyone said, well, everybody's going to flock to all these other areas to go to restaurants there, and you're going to lose all the business in Beverly Hills uh, because the re- people won't go to the restaurants. Well, as we know now, that just wasn't true. Uh, yes, you can go to other areas, but people still want to visit Beverly Hills. Yeah, when I think of Beverly Hills, or when most people do, I mean, they think of you know swimming pools and movie stars, right? And I, I often think of movie stars as, as being people who might disproportionately be more likely to to smoke cigarettes. Maybe not these days, but I mean, you know, what about your sort of glitterati kind of um, residents in, in in Beverly Hills, the big movie stars and movie production people? What do they think about this uh, smoking rules there? Well, interestingly enough, we have not had pushback from residents at all. The only uh, pushback, if any, that we've had is from retailers. And I'm not sure it's it's generally from residents of our city. Our city really uh, has come aboard on this. We we do uh, hold ourselves out to be a healthy city. And uh, this is just the next step um, to getting to that point. Okay, what about cannabis? Is cannabis legal in in Beverly Hills? Can you buy cannabis there? No, you cannot buy cannabis in Beverly Hills. Uh, No smoking materials are permitted to be sold in Beverly Hills. That was a decision that our city made. Uh, It is available in uh, other cities in uh, California, but uh, uh, Beverly Hills chose not to allow it. Wow, okay. And how about uh, e-cigarettes, electronic cigarettes or vapes? Are, Are those banned too? Those are also banned as part of it. It's wow. all smoking materials. Okay, fascinating stuff. Thanks a lot for coming on to tell us about it today. My pleasure, and have a happy new year. Okay, same to you. That is Lester Friedman. He is the mayor of Beverly Hills, where, as you heard him describe there, they just banned the sale of most tobacco products within the city limits. Let's check in with Jack Boomer now, bring it home here. And talk to him. He's the, uh, with the Clean Air Coalition of British Columbia. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Hiya, Jack. Jack? Hi, Mike. Hi, Jack. Okay, you've been on the front lines on uh, tobacco control in our province for many, many years, advocating for restrictions on tobacco sales and where people can light up and smoke. I know you heard my interview there with the mayor of Beverly Hills, the first, the first city in America to ban the sale of tobacco products there. What do you think of that? Well, absolutely. We're delighted to hear that a municipality has taken a leadership role to ban the sale of not just tobacco products, but all uh, materials that are smoked, uh, whether it's vaping products or cannabis, because yeah. they are, as he, as your uh, as Lester put it, want to ensure the health and safety of the citizens uh, in their community. And we know that uh, no good can come from smoking tobacco products. Do you think and so? Uh, as a result think, of that, we're delighted. Do you think cities in British Columbia should do the same thing? Well, I think that the whole province should be considering 
ways to move in this direction. We know that uh, this isn't something that uh, City of Beverly Hills did lightly, and that they had a committee that looked at the information, as the mayor indicated, and that it was brought to the council. And I think that yeah. uh, what we're seeing steadily is that the rate uh, that, at which people smoke is on the decline in British Columbia. It's kind of leveled off. It's kind of, depending on which statistics you, lo- you look at, it can be in the low tens, like anywhere from uh, 7 8% up to 12 or 14%, depending on which statistic you look at. But we know that the number of people that are smoking is decreasing uh, and right. that um, what we should be looking at is a way to look at the supply side. So one of the things that's happened is up to this point, a lot of what's been focused on is the, the people who smoke and say, you got to quit smoking. So we have programs to help people quit smoking. Uh, we have prevention programs to prevent people from starting to smoke. But we have never really focused a lot on the supply side, which is where do you purchase the tobacco products? And so one of the things that provinces all across Canada have done, just one example, is that they have banned the sale of tobacco products in pharmacies. Because when you go into a pharmacy, it's a place of health. British Columbia is still the only province in Canada that allows tobacco to be sold in pharmacies. Now, not every pharmacy does sell tobacco products, uh, but a lot of the large retail ones uh, sell uh, tobacco products in their pharmacy, in okay. the, the store. So. Okay. All right. Welcome back to the show. It's talking about smoking policies and tobacco sales with my guest, Jack Boomer, Clean Air Coalition of BC. You know... Jack, Beverly Hills as a city is, is very interesting. It, it's probably one of the most, uh, I guess some people call it progressive in their t- smoking regulations in that city. One of the first in, in the United States to ban smoking in restaurants 30 years ago. They also have a ban on smoking in condos and apartment buildings there. Do you think, I know we've talked about that before. Do you think that's something that BC should be looking at too? Absolutely. Uh, the yeah. The issue right now with smoking in, uh, is that people know that even breathing secondhand smoke is harmful, whether it's in the workplace, and that's why it's banned in the workplace, but in people's homes. And so there are, I think, 60 municipalities in California that have bans in place where people live in two or three unit buildings. So if you lived in a duplex and your neighbor smoked, they wouldn't be permitted to smoke indoors uh, where it would affect the neighbor. So there are all sorts of things that are occurring in terms of tobacco control. And what's exciting about what Beverly Hills is doing is that it will inspire potentially other municipalities and leaders to say, if they're doing it in that community, why can't why can't we look at exploring retail reform, and that's what we call it as retail reform, in terms of tobacco control, as we talked about before, prohibiting sales in pharmacies. You know, if you look at where uh, retailers are, you do not require a you require a tobacco vendor license in British Columbia to sell tobacco products, but do you know how much it costs you to get that retail license in, in BC, Mike? I'd just be guessing. Zero? I don't know. Zero. Zero. It costs nothing. So you can sell one of the deadliest products that will kill 50% of users if it's used as intended, and it costs absolutely nothing to get a tobacco retail license. We have been encouraging the government through the Canadian Cancer Society and the Heart and Stroke Foundation to 
uh, put in place a retail fee, and the government has the regulations so that they can do that. They just haven't implemented a fee. Actually, in Alberta, there are numerous municipalities that have a fee that range anywhere from, you know, uh, hundreds of dollars up to, I think, over $1,000 to have the privilege to sell this deadly product. Um, You know, tobacco is sold. These uh, retail outlets are often located near... um, middle and high schools where the the kids, it may be uh, communities where people have lower socioeconomic status. So in Victoria, they did uh, um, a plotting, a GPS plotting of where all the retail outlets are around a particular um, alternative school. And within 500 meters, so less than half a kilometer, there were seven retail outlets located within that school area. And even though there's supposed to be restrictions and ID programs in place, we know that not all retailers may take advantage of uh, uh, complying um, and uh, that uh, staff may have varying uh, skill levels in terms of their sales. So there are a number of things around the supply side that we are advocating for and encouraging the government to look at. Okay, phone lines are open. Phone me on this now and tell me what you think. Do you think smoking should be banned in apartments and condos? They've done that in Beverly Hills and other uh, cities, a lot of them in California, where if you are living in a condo, an apartment, a multi-unit dwelling, you're not allowed to smoke in your apartment or your condo. Do you think that should be done in British Columbia? Phone me on that, 604 Two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight is the number. Star ninety eight ninety eight on your cell. Also, the sale of tobacco products. You heard Jack Boomer say there. Should you be allowed to buy tobacco products, cigarettes, in a pharmacy? Should that be banned? Six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight. Star ninety eight ninety eight on your cell. You know, the bottom line in this one though is that tobacco is still legal. It's a legal product. And, uh, you know, for, for a city like Beverly Hills to say, well, you can't buy cigarettes here anymore. I mean, you heard the mayor say to me, all you have to do is get in your car and drive less than five miles and you're in L.A. And you can buy cigarettes at a gas station there. So is it really, you know, what Beverly Hills had done, has done, is it more symbolic gesture? Or do you think it would real have a real effect in getting people to stop smoking? Well, first of all, what the 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 uh, municipal leaders are saying is that we we recognize and acknowledge that tobacco use is a harmful, deadly substance, and that therefore we are not going to even condone the sale of the tobacco products in the community. And they have some exemptions, and they develop those exemptions uh, with the the community. What they're also saying, though, is that we want to create a healthy environment for the people in our community, which includes protecting people from secondhand smoke in their home. The other thing that's important to note is that, um, let's be realistic, if people are addicted to nicotine, there are healthy ways that they can get uh, support to, to quit smoking through patch gum. In British Columbia, we have one of the best patch and gum programs in all of Canada to assist people to quit. But there are ways that people can get healthy, uh, that they can get cleaner nicotine that will be less harmful to them. I think the other thing that we need to also recognize is that um, this, that most people, if you ask any smoker if they want to quit smoking, in the next year, 60 to 70% of people will say, I've got to quit smoking, I want to quit yeah. smoking within the next year. When you say in the next six months, it drops to about 30%. When you say in the next 30 days, it drops again. 
we know that when you have access to tobacco products and other things, that people will uh, purchase them. And so if you make it harder for them to buy the product, in the same way that if you make it harder for people to smoke in bars, pubs, and restaurants by banning it, people will quit smoking or smoke fewer cigarettes and take the leap to become tobacco-free. Okay, we continue to follow the issue closely. Jack, thank you for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Mike.